Welcome to episode 27 of In the Abstract, the Lakeland Title Podcast. And for this episode, we have a very special guest, Emily D. Baker, the legal commentator, YouTuber, and podcaster. And she's going to kind of walk us through her journey uh, to becoming a YouTuber and podcaster and just kind of her whole process and how she does things. Just give us a look into her world. Uh, I'm Brian Johnson, the founder and owner of Lakeland Title, and let's get into it. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to have a conversation and glad to be here. And uh, I did a little introduction before, but why don't you introduce yourself in your own words to the audience? Absolutely. I'm Emily D. Baker. I'm the internet's go-to legal analyst. I cover mostly entertainment and pop culture stories. I'm the host of The Emily Show and a live streamer on YouTube. I've also been a lawyer for like 17 years, which feels weird to say, because it's been so long. <laughs> well, we actually have something in common. We both actually graduated from law school in twenty in two thousand six. Yes, yeah. I was right at the tail end of of two thousand and five. There, yes. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yes, I thought right. I started the DA's office in two. It's so hard to remember. <laughs> I started the DA's office in two thousand and six. It was wild, but yes, absolutely. I mean, it feels it's weird to feel like we're becoming the elders in the profession because I still feel like there's so much to know. Um, and it's, it's funny because when I say 17 years, I'm like, oh, wow, I've actually done a lot. I've actually learned a lot, but law is so big. It feels like there's always so much more to know. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we do know some stuff. So know some stuff. <laughs> so I got to start off by, you know, I have to start it this way. I have questions. So <laughs> of course you do. I love that so much. <laughs> so I just kind of wanted you to go through your journey from being an assistant district attorney to now, of. Uh, you know, YouTube legal commentator and podcaster. What was that? What was that journey like? How did that start? The journey definitely wasn't linear, um, as I think a lot of legal careers aren't. But we we're never told that. It's. It seems like when you get out of law school, you expect to have a more linear career than you do. As I left the DA's office and I transitioned out of the DA's office in 2017, I was having a ton of health issues. I didn't have control over where I worked, and I was a deputy district attorney in LA County. It's a massive county. I could have worked two plus hours in traffic away from my home. And after going through health issues and a spinal fusion, that was not going to work well for me. And it was difficult to really maneuver that uncertainty because it's a political office, bosses change, bosses change frequently. And so you never really know. So when I made that decision, I thought I was going to leave law entirely and just go into business consulting. That business consulting turned into really legal consulting for online business owners, which was kind of bare bones. It's like explaining to people what an LLC is, why your website needs terms and conditions, the really, really basics that people don't know where to ask, and they don't want to just go to a Pinterest blog post and try to figure it out themselves. So I did that door, and I did the podcast to really help provide those answers to a broader audience. When the pandemic started, most of my consulting clients and everyone else went, oh no, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what my online business looks like. I'm educating kids from home for the first time. I'm not an educator. I'm going to just pause. So we all paused and all of my clients, I was like, that's fine. We're going to stop the work we're doing. It doesn't make sense for me to finish a contract for you for this in-person event that is now probably not going to happen. Let's just pause everything and then shift. And I started shifting more into my content to answer all the questions during the uncertainty, paycheck protection program, things like that, navigating the day-to-day -day of 
can my business be open? Does my business have to be closed? If my business, can I do my business by Zoom? What does liability look like if I'm doing my business by Zoom? Um, all of those things. And so there was a lot of uncertainty. The podcast started to grow. And for some levity, I started covering more pop culture stories. And that started to grow. And then I started streaming on Facebook just to have a conversation with people during during the uncertainty. What's happened this week? What do we know? What does this mean? How do you apply for these programs? And then as I was covering pop culture, I really enjoyed it a lot. And by September 2020, I was doing full-time content creation and shifted my streaming more to YouTube um, because it monetizes way better <laughs> than Facebook. And it really grew organically from there. I didn't I didn't sit down when I left the DA's office and go, I'm going to be a YouTube streamer. It just happened. I've always loved YouTube. I've always been um, on the platform. I had streamed even in 2016, 2017, when I was out on leave, I had streamed talking about tech things with friends and really finding community on YouTube. So I always loved the platform, but I didn't see it as my career until everything shifted. And I had that pause. What's it look like when you pause client work? Oh, it looks great. Let's just, I love my clients. I love having the conversations. It's why I liked consulting, but I really don't want to spend all of my time modifying terms and conditions. It just wasn't the best and most fun use of my time. And as the YouTube channel started growing, I was like, this is so much fun. I want to do this every day, all day, all the time. And I know there's plenty of people who feel that way about modifying terms and conditions. So <laughs> I can do what I do. They can do what they do. And, and that's, and then it continued to grow from there. And now I'm a full-time streamer. I regularly give comment on traditional media, everything from ABC shows on shows on Hulu to court TV, to the news this morning, I was on good morning, Britain and the BBC. It's just, and I've been, gosh, on media outlets all over the world because the rest of the world's also interested in pop culture in the U.S. And our legal system is is kind of quirky to all of them. So it's really fun to to be able to fill in the international crew as well. Yeah, and you really break things down in a, in a very kind of a simple and entertaining way, which I think a lot of people appreciate that. I try to. It's It's one of the things I liked about doing, and I liked doing fraud cases as a district attorney. I liked making things that could be really complicated and caught in the weeds, a more simple story. And I really enjoyed being able to explain it. And you have a lot of success. If you're able to help juries understand your theory of the case, you're going to have a lot of success. And I had quite a lot of success in my jury trials because I think I was able to take something and break it down and make it like, no, these are the facts. This is the law and this is how they meet. It's fine. It's not that hard. It's fine. Just go, go chat about it. It's great. Come back. You're going to convict them. It's fine. So I've been able to kind of take that, take my love of breaking down the law and helping people understand and really making it more accessible. I think sometimes as lawyers, we can get stuck in the weeds. I constantly fight that on myself when it's, well, I could explain this for 45 minutes. How do I do it in three? And that is a constant challenge <laughs> to not leave something out, right? It's like asterisks. What, what does your family think about all this? I mean, you have over 600,000 people now that that follow you on YouTube. What does your family say about this whole situation? It's interesting because my youngest, I have two boys. My youngest is 10. My oldest is almost 15. So they are definitely well within the YouTube generation. My 10-year-old is like, well, you know, uh, behind your subscriber number, there's still a K on your channel because it's, you know, eight, 600 and whatever thousand. It's not an M like a Mr. Beast. And so he doesn't think I'm a real YouTuber until there's a, a million after my subscriber number. My oldest will occasionally text me from school and be like, there are kids watching 
the Depp Heard trial on your YouTube channel at lunch. And I'm like, tell everyone at your school they should not be watching me on YouTube. I say the most inappropriate things and your peers don't need to see it. Um, so he thinks it's he thinks it's kind of funny because his peer group, some of his peer group thinks it's hilarious and some of them think it's cringy because parents are supposed to be cringy. And my husband loves that I love it. He, he, some of the hardest points in my career at the DA's office and, and emotionally difficult working in juvenile, um, having police protection on our house due to threats because of a case I was working on, that was stressful in a much different way than working on the internet. My husband thinks it's hilarious. He loves this community. He loves getting to occasionally be on a live stream and he gets to see the law nerds in public because I do get recognized quite frequently. So he gets to see my community in public and he gets recognized on occasion too and loves this, this community of law nerds we've built because they're great people. And so it feels like we have a much broader friend group um, than we've ever had before. And that's been really fun. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh, you've seemed to built this kind of, you know, fan base and community that's just very positive and supportive. It's kind of a unique thing just because other fan bases can get kind of, kind of mean and nasty. How were you able to cultivate that kind of community around your content or were you able really, to, or did it just happen naturally? No, I asked for it. I asked for, for my community to engage a certain way. And I'm not hesitant when people refuse to adhere to that, to, to say, this isn't the space for you. The internet is wild and free and people can go be wild and free anywhere they want to on the internet. But when it's my community, I get to set the rules and I get to choose how we engage. We do this in court. Juries get all kinds of rules and they adhere to them. I mean, hopefully for the most part, I think they do. And when we're in a classroom setting, there are rules that are expected to be adhered to. And if you look at a bunch of like third graders at home versus a bunch of third graders in class, they like sit down and listen and stuff. It's because their teacher asked them to. So I ask my community and those who love the community adhere to those rules and say, yes, this is great. But I also adhere to those rules. So when I say, you know, we're not going to name call the litigants in this case, I mean that, but I'm also not on Twitter reading people to filth and then coming into my YouTube space being like, well, that's not what we do over here. I also live those rules because it's how I want to engage on the internet. I don't, it's funny to be a lawyer for so long and a trial attorney. I don't like that kind of adversarial nastiness that some people seem to enjoy, particularly on, on platforms like Twitter. And some streamers enjoy it where they have a really back and forth banter with their audience, where their audience is insulting them and they're insulting their audience. And there are people who enjoy that very much. I'm not one of them. So I created the space that I wanted to be a part of and invited others to be a part of it too. Well, it's a really great community. So, you know, congratulations it's, with that. It's so much fun. It's, it is awesome. They are smart. And it's it's funny because when you ask people not to not to really name call, you can see the creativity when people can express their dislike because it's fine to dislike, you know, Britney Spears' dad or, or Amber Heard or Johnny Depp or whatever. It's fine to be like, oh, I don't like that they said that or, oh, I don't like the way they're carrying themselves. It actually elevates the conversation to have to express why you don't like someone versus just calling them a name. And so it actually leads, I think, to more productive conversation. And the internet's not always a great place to have productive conversation. Uh, speaking of the depth be heard trial, it seems like during your live coverage of that, your channel really grew, you know, in a pretty huge way, pretty quickly. Was that difficult to navigate? Were you prepared for that? I was in no way prepared for that. I 
was not prepared. I think our top viewership was over 370,000 live concurrent viewers. Um, I still remember when I had over a hundred live concurrent viewers and how thrilled I was. Managing over 300,000 people in the chat is kind of wild. You also have to remember, you never know who's watching. There were witnesses in the case that watched and, and left feedback from me and comments um, via email and DMs and other things, always positive, <laughs> which was really nice. There were traditional celebrities that were watching and reached out. There were YouTubers who I've watched the entire time I've loved the platform that were commenting in my chat and I almost couldn't talk because I was like, oh my God, I Justine is in my chat right now watching this trial with my community. I'm living in a parallel universe and I can't breathe. It was wild, but I was not prepared for the subscriber growth and I wasn't prepared for that to stick. Because you think if people are just interested in this one anomaly pop culture moment, that they might not be interested in sticking around to hear me talk about a you know business derivative lawsuit with a beauty influencer. But that's not really been the case. Some have left for sure, but it's overall been a, a trend up. So my channel was at the beginning of Debbie Heard just over 200,000 and we're pushing towards what, 700,000 now. Well, I mean, I just think that, you know, kind of speaks to your talent because somebody gets, you know, hooked on one aspect. Like I, I discovered you uh, from your Alec Baldwin Rust movie shooting coverage and then the Debbie Heard stuff started and then I've just stuck stuck with you ever since. So I think, you know, that you says a lot about it. It's so much fun to be in the community. It's like, oh, well, if I'm going to be in a live chat, I might as well be in this live chat. They're the best one because exactly. they're the best one. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> Rust uh, has so been so busy. I have, it's been so busy. I was not anticipating charges this week. I should have been paying more attention to the news because the DA has seemed to really seed what they were doing in that case. Um, and I just, it's been busy. <laughs> yeah, I know with the, with the Murdoch trial coming up, they should have, you know, thought about that and just said, we got too much I mean, going God, on. What are you doing? We're busy. Space it out. Um, at least they did the week before the Murdoch trial starts. It's, it's really one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And I keep saying that. And I'm like, where is the limit to the craziest thing you've ever seen? Cause when the Girardi scandal started happening, I was like, people were like, would you ever believe that a lawyer would do this? I'm like, I can't even conceive of this. I can't conceive of how wild this is and it keeps going and going and going and Murdoch's yeah. the same way yeah yeah just I would have never thought it either but I guess you know people surprise you I guess <laughs> I mean we know there's people who do wild things in every profession but I was not the large-scale theft from clients still stuns me yeah especially because you know in law school that's just drilled into you like do not take your client's money do not touch it I mean it's just something that from day one that's drilled into you and so how somebody could just make that break is insane. <laughs> and on such a big way. And for so long, this isn't just like a oopsie. This is millions and millions of dollars. It's what it's wild. So speaking of your, your channel's growth, do you have a team of people that, that help you out? I do now. And I've been able to build, uh, build the team. It started with friends of mine who were like, Hey, I can help. And I'm like, great. What's a moderator. <laughs> 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 and people were like, literally in my first live stream that got really big, people were like, throw me a wrench. I've got you. I'm like, I don't know where to find that. And one of my friends who had streamed with me um, talking about tech and who I've been friends with for, gosh, five, six years now was like, this is where you find it. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Um, and so that friend has now come on 
really is my YouTube production team and is in the back end of my videos with me when I'm when I'm doing live streams and helping me uh, gain comments, letting me know if anything's going on, letting me know if there's an audio issue or if there's something news-wise that's popping off that now the chat is talking about that I'm not aware of and that we need to be aware of. So, and helping the moderators make those decisions on, is this somebody that's in good faith trying to be a part of this community and doesn't understand our rules? Or is this somebody that's trolling or self-promoting? Or is this a spam bot of some kind or somebody promoting a crypto whatever? So also helps the moderators do that. I have a team of moderators who are absolutely incredible in upholding kind of the values of my channel. I just brought on a full-time employee because I can't field really emails, scheduling requests. Um, I am best, my energy is best spent truly making sure I'm reading the things I'm covering, staying up to date and researching the things I want to research and creating content. So I'm also very ADHD and scheduling is my nightmare. So <laughs> it's been really great. It's like, what do you hate doing the most? This, and was able to hire someone to do that. I have an operations manager who kind of oversees everybody on the team and make sure that she's following the details. Cause again, ADHD following the details is not my strong suit. And then I work with a number of contractors. So um, a podcast editor who's great and helped me start my podcast and has been with me since the podcast started uh, four plus years ago my brand team over at Semaphore who handles uh, all the contracts. No, I don't do my own contracts. I read my own contracts, but I do not negotiate my own contracts. I just, if I wanted to negotiate contracts, I would have not been a content creator. <laughs> There's plenty of time to negotiate contracts if you want to work in traditional law. So I couldn't have done that, but I don't. So I have a team that helps with that. And, um, and that's, and a team that helps field incoming PR requests and, and vetting those and making sure that I can get them on the calendar truly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the team. It is a smaller team, but we have a lot of moving pieces. And then um, it's, it's nice to be able to bring in contractors who do their own thing in their own business to help us with marketing. I'm not a marketer to help us with copywriting. If we don't have time for that at uh, design for merchandise and things like that, because I just don't have time though. At the beginning I did it all myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and then because of the topics that you cover, I mean, you know, it's these, you know, legal proceedings and oftentimes the the topics are a little kind of out there. Do you ever have your content being demonetized or, you know, getting strikes on various platforms? Does that happen? Absolutely. Um, there's kind of, I now kind of know the algorithm a little bit better. I've become a much closer study of YouTube and especially now that I've been able to take like scheduling off of my plate and most of the emails off of my plate and things like that, I'm able really to focus on not just learning YouTube, but learning the quirks of the algorithm. I've also been lucky as my channel has grown to have access to other YouTube creators who I can talk about and learn from. But yes, half the Deb Heard trial is demonetized. I knew it would be because of the words contained in the text messages, mostly sent by Johnny Depp. Um, there are words in there that YouTube is just not a fan of. So I knew that was going to happen. I've had inappropriate strikes on my channel. I've won all of my uh, all of my appeals on those. But at one point, TMZ struck my channel over clips of a video that played in the trial of Depp v. Heard. And I was like, um, this is a trial exhibit. So do you own? And at that point, it was so scandalous because 
it was believed that TMZ bought the video from Amber Heard, but it hadn't come out in trial yet that that video had been purchased. And Amber Heard had denied giving that video to TMZ. So it was really kind of scandalous for me to see TMZ claiming ownership of a video. And the person who took the video, Amber Heard, said that they never gave it to TMZ. So I was like, oh, this is now more content. Thanks, TMZ, for striking the channel. You've, How do you think you have ownership in this? Who did you buy it from? And then, of course, that came out on rebuttal witnesses later in the trial. And I was like, ha ha, vindicated. And I've had issues with other streamers. I think a lot of them have third-party companies that go in and are like, oh, because YouTube has a matching system. Oh, these two things matched. It must be our copyright. We're going to claim it. It's like, no, this is a pool feed of court streams. These have no copyright. You can't copyright it. The court order says you can't copyright it. Stop it. So I've been able to work with YouTube about most of those things. I understand the platform. There are some topics that very much were difficult for my channel, covering anything. Um, even saying the name, I apologize. Just go ahead and beep it out. It really took, it took about a month and a half when I stopped coverage for my channel to start showing up in the algorithm again. It really, it wasn't just that it got uh, less monetized. I chose not to monetize it. It pulled down all of my reach. But that's why I have a law nerd community because I'll, if they want to cover it, and I want to cover it, we're going to cover it. We don't really need the platform for discoverability because my community is so active that I can say, hey, we're just we're just here doing our own thing. I can reach them outside of YouTube notifications because YouTube notifications are not great. And I can reach them across to other platforms and tell them what I'm covering. And if I really think YouTube's going to get spicy, I can put it on my podcast because Apple Podcasts and Spotify don't take down content that is informative and educational, even if the topics are difficult or disfavored by advertisers on larger platforms. Apple doesn't place ads on your podcast. They just host it. Same with Spotify and all the others. So if it's really too spicy, I'll just leave it on the podcast only. Yeah, I'm in the text crew. So that's how I get notified of yes. everything that's going on. It's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have that option. And we're exploring other options because the text crew is not international. And I have a larger than I ever expected international audience. And I know it more when I mentioned the text crew and I see how many comments are like, we can't get it in Canada. We can't get it in the UK. We can't get it in Australia. I'm like, I'm working on a solution and a solution that I own um, so that it's easier to get in touch. Because again, YouTube's notification system is tough and I'm a live streamer. People get frustrated if they don't get notified. And I see those comments when they come in and they're like, ah, I didn't get notified you were live now. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't fix it. I don't work at Google. There's always replay crew though, you know, <laughs> there always is. I like having people live because they like the experience of being in community with each other. And that's, that's a part of it. It's not the same. It's like going to a concert with your friends and being able to like slap them on the arm and be like, I can't believe they're playing this song versus watching the, the video of it at your house by yourself later. It's just a different experience. Uh, now the term law nerd, did you come up with that? Or is that something that was floating out there already? The community came up with that. Okay. So it's a self, it's a self-named community. I I don't claim brilliance on literally anything. The community is more clever than I could ever be. And they come up with with everything. So when we were talking about what is this community, because I had changed the name of the podcast and we had we had kind of been working around what it was, the I don't even remember what stream it was on. But I lean into nerd culture. I'm a giant nerd. I talk about Nintendo and Doctor Who and Supernatural and Dave Matthews Band and everything else. 
And so it was funny when somebody's like, no, we're, we're nerds. And I'm like, we are nerds. And they're like, well, we're law nerds. I'm like, yes, we absolutely are. That's absolutely what we are. And so we had a conversation as a community and that's how most things have come about. When people are like, can we cover more food lawsuits? We started with Holland and Cuthbert um, caterpillar cakes in the UK because it was so ridiculous. And Aldi who was selling clearly infringing cakes um, and when I say cakes, I mean actual cakes, like birthday cakes that you would eat shaped like a caterpillar. They were selling clearly infringing cakes. They got sued over the clear infringement of the box design of the freaking cake. And they took to social media about how they were being placed in jail and making all these other jokes. And they changed their box so it didn't say serve six to 10. It said serve six to 10 years and all of the rest of it. I was delighted. I was delighted by the cheekiness. I'm like, legally they're in the wrong, but on social media, they've kind of won my heart. I just, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm, they're infringing, clearly infringing on somebody else's IP, but also they're delightful. And I think it's hilarious. So it's balancing things like that, which is why we added food court. It's like, can we talk more about food lawsuits? Who knew how many of them there were? Yes, we can. And so it really, most of those things come about organically because either I'm interested or delighted or the community brings it to my attention just like the screaming goat. That's how we ended up with the screaming goat. That was community driven. <laughs> yeah. I voted for food court in that, in that poll. So <laughs> I love food court. It's cheeky. And again, those names, I put up a poll and I asked the community, what are the name? What are we going to call this thing? And I liked sous chef as well. S U E C H E F. I thought sous chef was very clever and there were some really, really clever names, but food court was so on the nose. And I think a lot of our audiences of the generation that enjoyed going to the food court at the mall back when people used to go to the mall and hang out with their friends, that's our generation. And so all of us are like, yes, I've been at the food court with my Saboro pizza. I'm here for it. And now, now here's the big question. Um, you say y'all a lot and you use it correctly. So where'd that come from? Do you have Southern roots? Where'd... I don't have Southern. Well, yes, I do. I'm from Southern California. And I feel like those are Southern roots. I'm teasing everyone in the South is like, girl, stop. I have been saying y'all since I was early in high school, my friends and I really loved nineties country music. We grew up in the nineties. I were, we're fans. I think one of the, one of the concerts I went to with my friends on our own, one of our, kind of those first teen experiences was Garth Brooks. And we went like three nights in a row in Los Angeles and loved it. So it's something I've said for quite a long time. I also between y'all and dude growing up were the phrases. Um, it just, in, at the age I'm at now, I can't be like, dude, stop, dude, what's up? It just doesn't fit anymore. Um, but y'all has stayed and it has been something I've used forever and it works. A, it's a perfect phrase. And then I moved to Nashville and I'm like, I'm just embracing it. I love it. I love it here. And um, I'm just going to embrace, I'm going to embrace it entirely. So it works, it works well. And it, it, it just works. It's just a, per it's perfect. All y'all's also perfect. <laughs> Well, being from Baton Rouge, I can definitely appreciate Garth Brooks. So that's yeah. definitely one of our favorites. <laughs> it is. And I, I mean, not, there's nothing bad. 90s country music is so good. But it. what I love about our audience is that they get most of my lyrical references because I will reference everything from like Spice Girls to Limp Bizkit to Metallica to Dave Matthews to Garth Brooks. And everyone is right there with me. Like, I think I dropped a Nine Inch Nails reference and people were like, yes, I, I love our community so much because they're right there with me and have also diverse musical tastes. And uh, speaking of Baton Rouge, uh, I heard you once talk about your requirements for where you want to live. So I'll just go ahead and make the pitch for Baton Rouge in case you ever decide to move. We have Tesla chargers. 
We have yes. multiple targets. We have an Apple store. We have a Trader Joe's. We have live music and warm All weather. Right. So if we're you're ever come, looking to we're move. Gonna visit. We're going to come yeah. visit Baton Rouge. I've Absolutely. Been, I've always wanted to go to Baton Rouge because of calling Baton Rouge. Always wanted to go. Um, I also love a Louisiana accent. I think they're great. Um, hurricanes are a big no for me, but but we'll come check it out. Well, you just don't visit in that window. You know, we got plenty of other times you can come visit. <laughs> I know. And it's like, well, people are like, but Nashville, tornadoes. I'm like, I know you got to pick, you got to pick something. I, I can handle tornadoes better than I can handle earthquakes. And I'll tell you what, um, through the tornado warnings and the extreme weather that we've been through, um, I, it can be devastating, but earthquakes terrify me on a whole different level after living through the Northridge quake and a couple other large ones in Los Angeles. Just, I don't know, there, there's something um, there's something so unpredictable about them, different, uh, different unpredictability than like a tornado or a hurricane. All right. So I know we're, uh, kind of getting, getting close on time here. I know you have a tight schedule. So I wanted to see, I have a couple off the wall questions. I like to sometimes ask my podcast guests, are you up for it? Oh, I'm always up for it. And if I, if I don't, I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. Uh, first one <laughs> is completely you... inappropriate context <laughs> in the Bravo, the Bravo clubhouse way of pleading the fifth. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, so the first one is, uh, do you own any Bitcoin? I do. Oh, really? Okay. When when did you get into Bitcoin? I got into Bitcoin. So I have a, a couple of very techie friends who I don't always assume are always on the the correct side of the internet. And so when they're like, hey, this thing is happening and it's really interesting, you might want to consider it. Um, I do. So I started with a Bitcoin miner five years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, back in... 2012, 2013 is when I got into it. My brother introduced me to it. He found out about it. Yeah, yeah much, much earlier than me, which is interesting. It's so interesting, but I, I really like technology. I like, I am not afraid to early adapt things. Um, so I'm always with, with Bitcoin and crypto, I'm always interested, but I never assume that it's the thing that's going to like make me a millionaire. And I never assume I'm going to get any money back out of it. So I kind of take it as a early adopter. I want to check it out and I want to we're going to hedge our bets. And if we have some extra money, we'll, we'll just see where it goes. I have some Bitcoin. I have some ETH. I think I have some Doge because I thought it was funny. So I've got a few, I've got a few tokens. I don't have any Dink Doink or CryptoZoo. So just want to be clear on that. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're on the same page. Like I was fascinated by it. And it's like, if it, you know, if it all collapses, whatever, it's a fascinating technology and concept. And I also bought a little bit of Doge just so I'd be in on the joke. <laughs> right. Because it's funny. I love a meme. Look, I love a meme coin. I'm here for a meme stock. I think it's funny, but I'm also not investing anything. I'm not willing to literally just burn. So I, I really like tech and seeing where it's going. And I think we're going to start seeing so much more blockchain. I think it's a really interesting way to preserve, uh, preserve what was written in a newspaper article. Because we've seen even during Depp v. Heard, I would read an article and then I was like, oh, that's odd. And then I'd go back and they'd change something. It's like, wait, no, 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 no. You said this. I think we're going to see blockchaining of things more um, as we get kind of decentralized information. And I, I really look forward to see how blockchain technology works outside of just a financial token market. All right. So the next off the wall question is, uh, do you believe in aliens? Do I believe in, how could there not be aliens? I mean, can I believe that, that us, I, I'm not that egocentric. I believe there's lots of other things in the universe that aren't just us. It's vast and wide. I can't imagine that we are the smartest things in the universe. The best things in the universe are the only things in the universe. I, I feel like that's way too much, uh, way too, way too egocentric. So yes, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Hopefully one day they'll visit, you know, we'll see. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know. Have you seen octopuses? Octopuses are kind of aliens. I mean, they're wild and they regenerate. And I don't know. I <laughs> There are so many things on this earth that are so wild. There's I, I can't limit my thinking to be like, no, we're the only things. No, we're not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, so that about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else you'd like to share for the audience or anything like this. No more off the wall questions. I love it. It was, I was doing a sound check. Um, I don't remember which network it was for because I've done a number of news programs lately, but the sound engineers normally have you like count to five. And one of them was like, okay, tell me two truths and a lie. I was like, oh, that's a tough one. And here's what they said. They're like, I'm always able to spot the lie. And I was like, why? And they're like, everybody puts it last because they need time to think about it. And I was like, that is so true. I need to go to two truths and a lie. And as I bring this story up, I've completely forgotten to do it, but it's, it was a very interesting way to be like, Oh, do this. And I love, I love that. So I appreciate the, uh, the fun questions for anything else. No, I think, um, I, is your audience, a lot of lawyers, do you have a lot of lawyers in the audience? Uh, some, I mean, there are some, but, uh, I mean, we do mostly kind of legal and real estate content. So yeah, it's just, and in real estate too, it's one of those professions that once you get tracked into, you can feel like, Oh, I don't know what to do. It's okay to explore something else. It's okay to explore something different. And it's, it's never too late to make a shift. I think sometimes particularly licensed careers can feel a little like you have to follow the path. And I love seeing like younger generations of licensed professionals being like, no, we're placing our own path. And I, I'm really excited to see where it, where it goes. So. Well, I mean, that's the whole reason I, that's the whole reason I kind of got into it was just to kind of explain real estate transactions in a way that people could understand and kind of demystify it because most people, you know, at, at best they're buying a house like once every, you know, seven years or so. And so they don't really, they're not dealing with it every day, like, like me and the realtors and lenders are. And so I just kind of wanted a platform where I can just explain these things. And so it's less scary when you show up at that closing. It's so much paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of it's all, you know, it's all forms that are just nationwide forms. And so it's, you know, it looks scary, but it's all the same stuff. It's <laughs> it's like, once you read it, you read it. Yes, I do read all of my closing paperwork because you never know you need to. <laughs> I get that way. But no, it's, that's, that's really all. I appreciate you having me. I know we've been trying to connect forever. So I appreciate it. And if anybody wants to find me, I'm at the Emily D. Baker all over social. My podcast is the Emily show. And I really do break down pop culture, uh, entertainment stories. So things like Rust, things like Duffy Heard, and then things like Murdoch, because even though it's not a celebrity, it's all anyone is going to be talking about. And I like being able to bring the kind of more grounded legal aspect to some of these things. It can be very salacious because at the end of the day, it's, it's a double homicide trial. It's not, it can be salacious, but it shouldn't be packaged that way, I don't think. Yeah, he's part of pop culture now, so. <laughs> and probably never expected to be. He was like, I'm just in the low country. Like my my family goes back a hundred generations as solicitors. It's it's just such a wild story. And it's such like, it's small town, it's influence, it's intrigue. It's, you know, there's a huge wealth disparity in the low country. And you see that in some of the things that are alleged in this case. And it's just, it it really reads like a John Grisham novel. It really does. It really does. Well, yeah. Well, thank you again. This was great. I had a great time. Thank you. I did too. Great to see you. All right. Thank you. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that episode. I had a lot of fun recording it. If you'd like to follow Emily and see some of her content, all of her links will be in the show notes in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a good rating, leave us a comment, let us know your thoughts, and we will see y'all next time.